you notice at the end of the pews on either side of the aisle, we have these brochures conveniently titled Next. You see what I did there? Uh, What these brochures do is lay out our coming sermon series that we're beginning today. We're going to be walking through the book of Acts, specifically focusing on the New Testament personality of Barnabas. Barnabas as an example to us as a congregation and to each of us as individual believers. How his life and how his ministry is a model for what we should be doing going forward. As you flip through that brochure, in the, in the center of the brochure, you're, you're reminded of the mission and the vision of our family of churches as a whole. And in the back of that brochure, you will see a couple of pages focusing on what we need to be looking at next. Our response, both as a congregation and as individual believers. You see, this morning is Vision Sunday for us at the church at Lachlan Springs and for our entire family of churches. Something we do once a year. Normally, we do it at the beginning of January. This year, we were so excited about it, we decided to move it up to October in anticipation of the holidays. Give us time to focus on it moving into the new year. And we also thought it would be a great pivot from the discipleship series we just came out of kind of this practical discipleship series, and now we get to look at at tangible steps of what's going to be next. So this morning, we have the opportunity to hear from the senior pastor at our Brentwood campus, Mike Glenn. Now, if you are new here, if this is your first week, this is not the norm. 51 out of 52 weeks a year, there will be a pastor standing on this platform live sermons, live series. But once a year, we think that it's important to bring our entire family of churches under one umbrella so that we can look at the direction God is leading us, so that we can look at the larger picture, so that we can see how we as a congregation and we as individual believers fit into that vision. So as our ushers come forward and prepare to accept our tithes and our offerings. Would you pray with me? Lord, we are humbled and amazed by your presence with us in this place this morning. We are grateful for the opportunity to worship you for the opportunity to minister and to serve in such a dynamic city and in such an amazing neighborhood. We are grateful to be a part of a larger family of churches that is so focused on you, desperate to follow your will as we serve here in Middle Tennessee and around the globe. We ask that you accept our tithes and our offerings as we return to you some of the blessings that you've bestowed upon us and we ask that you use these supernaturally for kingdom purposes. It's in your son's precious name that we pray. Amen. Brentwood Baptist Church began in 1969, but in reality, the story of our church began long before that. 
It all began in the city of Jerusalem over 2,000 years ago. In AD 30, Jesus Christ, the promised Messiah, died on a cross, was buried, and rose from the grave. Around AD 47, Paul and Barnabas set out on their first missionary journey. By 595 AD, the gospel reached present-day England. In the 1730s, the first Great Awakening in the Americas brought revival throughout the colonies. In 1795, Mill Creek Baptist Church was formed. Fast forward to 1968. It was in the basement of the Tennessee Baptist Children's Home that a group from Woodmont Baptist Church first met to form a new church plant that would become Brentwood Baptist Church one year later. Since 1969, our church has launched seven additional regional campuses through church renewals and new church starts. In the spring of 2016, the members of Lachlan Baptist voted overwhelmingly to become the church at Lachlan Springs. And so today, we have the opportunity to continue this 2,000-year-old story and faithfully obey the call to go and make disciples who make disciples. Lights up now. Can I go? Okay. I was instructed to wait till the lights are up. So lights are up. Good morning. We are glad that you are here. And this is our 2018 vision sermon. And I would like to take this moment to welcome all of our campuses uh, to this morning service. Uh, those are of you who are listening at uh, Station Hill. Uh, West Franklin Avenue South, our newest congregation at Harpeth Heights, uh, Lachlan Springs, Nolensville, Woodbine. No matter how you list, you're always going to be that one short, aren't you? And we are grateful that all of you are joining us. We are now one church with eight campuses uh, throughout the Middle Tennessee area, and that number will continue to grow over the next uh, coming years, and we're excited about what God is doing uh, in and through the Middle Tennessee Initiative. Throughout history, there's always been that moment, that moment when uh, certain things were coming together, when the rivers of change uh, were coming to a, a, a class five rapids, and somebody had to stand up, somebody had to make uh, the next move. Uh, it was Martin Luther at the start of the Reformation. Uh, nailing uh, the 95 theses to the doors uh, of the church there in Germany. Uh, it was Patrick Henry at the revolution, uh, give me liberty or give me death. It was Rosa Parks uh, who refused to go to the back of the bus in Montgomery, Alabama and started the civil rights movement. And in the early church, well, in the early church, it wasn't who you thought it was. It was this man named Barnabas. And by the way, Barnabas wasn't his real name. That was his nickname. Let's hear the story at the end of chapter 4 in the book of Acts. Stand with me in honor of God's word. As we read this, the last two verses of this chapter together. Now, Joseph, a Levite a, of, of Cyprus by birth... One of the apostles called Barnabas, which is translated son of encouragement. Now he sold a field and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus by birth, 
who the disciples called Barnabas, which being translated means son of encouragement. This is God's word for God's people. Hear it, believe it, and live. Let's pray together. Your church in North America is struggling. We know what the numbers say. But we have not lost faith or confidence in what you can do. We just know like other times in history, you're waiting for somebody to make a stand. And we pray, Lord Jesus, that would be us. And that would be here. And that would be now. And we pray this in your name. Amen. We always read the story of the early church from this side of the book of Acts. But if you can put yourself in the early chapters of Acts, chapters 2 and 3 then you began to wonder if the early church was going to make it. Now, sure. Now, Jesus had been crucified. Jesus had been buried. Uh, Jesus had been raised from the dead. And he had spent those 40 days after his resurrection with his disciples. There had been that initial euphoria. Oh, Jesus is alive. Uh, praise God. Our Savior lives. All of that. And now Jesus had ascended. He had left his disciples with the commandment to carry on the mission. Now, things were getting hard. The euphoria of having Jesus with them was now wearing off. Uh, the excitement of the early church had drawn the attention of the political and religious leaders in Jerusalem, and persecution was beginning to happen. Uh, Peter and John had already been arrested and beaten. Uh, they had been uh, threatened if they preached in the name of Jesus that, there, that, that more serious punishment would happen, maybe even death. And so Peter and John come back to the early church, to that early meeting, and there's Barnabas. Now, while they were out, Barnabas had sold a piece of property and brought the money in to finance the ministry of the church. Now, you can imagine the encouragement that happened when Peter and John walked back in not knowing what was going to happen next and there somebody was with enough money to fund the ministry of the church for however long that that money would, would last in those times. But they had grown used to those kind of things from Barnabas. You know, you can't give yourself a nickname, can you? Other people have to give you a nickname. You know, the deaf church, if you're around the deaf church, any, they will give you your name, okay? Uh, you, you will have a sign name. My sign name is M next to your head. Mike is the head. Mike's boss. That's where they came from. Hmm. And they will give you your name. A nickname has to be earned. There, there has to be something. And some of us have an awful nickname, don't we? We always knew when somebody called and asked for my father where they knew my dad from. If it was Marshall, is Marshall there, then they knew him from Mississippi. 
If they called for John, then they knew him from Huntsville. If they called and asked for Skinny, that was family. Is Skinny there? Well, yeah, we knew somebody from his family was calling. Some of you have nicknames that you're still trying to live out of, don't you? You're right. The one reason you moved to Nashville was to get away from your nickname. But there was something about Barnabas, something about his personality, something about the way he made you feel better about life and about whatever was going on in your life that the disciples, the disciples nicknamed him. You're the son of encouragement. You are Barnabas. And if you follow the life of Barnabas, and that's what we're going to be doing for these next couple of weeks. If you follow the life of Barnabas, you find out that this wasn't the only time that Barnabas was willing to make a stand. That he was willing to give courage to somebody else. Uh, When the persecution of of the Jerusalem church began to intensify, a lot of the new Christians went to Antioch. And a revival broke out in Antioch. The church in Jerusalem sent Barnabas to check out to see if it was for real. Is this thing a thing of Jesus Christ? And when he got to the church in Antioch, he was so excited, he stayed in Antioch to encourage the new believers. He began to see that what was going on, they needed some depth. They needed some structure. So Barnabas became the first pulpit committee. And he left Antioch and he went to Tarsus and he found Saul. Now remember, Saul had been dramatically converted, so much so that nobody trusted him or nobody believed him. In fact, somebody, some people wanted to kill him because of his conversion. So he, Paul had returned home. Barnabas went and got him, brought him to Antioch, and he taught with Saul, who became Paul, in the church at Antioch, building that congregation up to the point that they become, not Jerusalem, but, but the church in Antioch becomes the first mission-sending congregation in the New Testament. Barnabas and Paul are those two missionaries. On that first trip, they take a young man, Barnabas' cousin, named John Mark. John Mark, for whatever reason, isn't tough enough to stay. Goes back home. Paul wants to go back on a second trip. Barnabas wants to take John Mark. Paul refuses. They have to agree to disagree. Paul picks Silas and goes on the mission journey. Barnabas takes John Mark and goes on another mission journey. Do you know we lose touch with Barnabas then? That's the last we hear of him. We don't know what happened to Barnabas. Here's what we do know. At the end of 2 Timothy, Paul writes to Timothy, bring John Mark to me. Because, get this, he's an encouragement to me. Wasn't Barnabas son of encouragement? Now we've got John Mark who is son of encouragement, Junior. Do you know what happens if we lose John Mark? Are you aware of the impact that would have on your New Testament? First, we would have lost the gospel of Mark that was written by John Mark. 
we would have lost substantial sections of Matthew and Luke who used John Mark as an outline. One of the reasons we call Matthew, Mark, and Luke the synoptic gospels is they have the same outline. All of that based on the work of John Mark that Barnabas wouldn't let go. Son of encouragement who encouraged not only Paul but John Mark. And now we're looking for that next Barnabas. Now I know there's a lot of struggle in the church in North America. I'm aware of, of the, the numbers and everybody says the church is declining, that the people aren't believing anymore. Those numbers aren't quite accurate. Uh, what they're really saying is that those denominations that keep records are declining. What we have growing, uh, going on across America is, is a lot of independent non-denominational congregations that don't report their numbers to anybody. Uh, who are continuing to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and there's a lot going on here. Uh, it, it's pretty cool that we, we have traced the history of Brentwood Baptist Church back to Mill Creek Baptist Church uh, in, in the late 1700s. It was, it was that church that started First Baptist Church Nashville, that first started Woodbine, and Woodbine, of course, started Brentwood Baptist Church. And there's a lot to celebrate right now about what's going on. Uh, for instance... Uh, we are uh, in the process of building the new church, the church at Nolensville. Now, most of the time we like to go in and establish uh, a relationship with, with, a, with a congregation that's already there so we, so we don't have to build a new facility. Nolensville being such a new area, there's no facility there. So we bought the land, paid for the land, and now we are in the process of constructing a $9 million facility. Over seven million of that has already been paid. We are $1.8 million short of paying that process, of paying that building off. Now, this is a really different building. Uh, the uh, sanctuary seats 500 with, with rooms and offices to support that. We're not going to build any more facilities like this. That's not the future. Okay. Uh, the, the, the Gen X and Millennials do church very differently. We're going to focus on building 500, 800 seat auditoriums. And then we'll start another church. Because community is going to, hospitality is going to be the new door to evangelism. Okay? Intergenerational uh, Sunday school classes, those kind of things. Why? Uh, now, uh, now, Wade Owens, who is the pastor of the church in Nolensville, was already preaching to over 1,000 in Texas when he came here. He said, Mike, I'm used to preaching to a thousand. I said, I'm not saying you can't preach to a thousand. I am saying you won't do it at the same time. <laughs> if you want to go three and four services on Sunday morning and five or six during the week, that's great. We do that all the time in international mission settings. There's no law that says the only time you can go to church is Sunday morning at 11. Okay, we're going to do things differently like that so that we do not become overwhelmed by debt. Okay, that facility. We are spending about $4 million expanding the Station Hill campus so that we can add additional space for children, students, and preschoolers. Families are overrunning that campus. It is uh, in three services right now. We celebrate all that God is doing there. That 
is paid for. We're going to spend about a million dollars between uh, the uh, upgrades at Woodbine and, uh, and, and, and brothers and sisters, we love you at Woodbine because I know you're parking everywhere right now because we had your parking place all torn up and, uh, and, and you're having to, to, to readjust a lot of things there. We're grateful for your patience uh, doing a lot of work there on that facility. Um, uh, also at West Franklin, uh, upgrading that facility and, and rearranging some space there. That's a million dollars or so. Again, that's already paid for. Folks, we have spent about over $10 million in construction, and it's been out of cash flow. Now, I want to celebrate your giving. I want to celebrate your generosity. I also want to celebrate the leadership of our financial teams, our stewardship team, uh, who plan for this kind of thing and who will tell us, no, we're not going to spend it here. We're going to save it, and we're going to spend it there. We've had this money sitting in the bank knowing that this opportunity were coming so that we would be able to pay for it. Now, we've got upgrades of this facility. This specific, uh, the Brentwood campus has not been upgraded since 2002. We have the original sound system uh, in here and those kind of things. So a lot needs to be upgraded uh, here uh, that we will need to step up uh, to, to develop the kind of ministries and presentations and uh, you know, podcasts and all those kind of things. Uh, all of those kind of things are fun. Now, what's next for us? All the campuses of Brentwood Baptist Church, what's on the horizon for us? One, start a hundred churches. Start a hundred churches. Now, before you go, what? That number's a little low. Okay, here's what I mean. One, uh, we've already started about 30. And, and we keep adding to that. Do you know we have a deaf church in Murfreesboro that we started? We found out that a lot of deaf people were coming to our deaf congregation from Murfreesboro. We had someone in, our tra- in, in the leadership training process who lived in Murfreesboro. So we said to Chris Partank, why don't you start a church? We have a deaf church in Murfreesboro. Station Hill has already started their first campus, their first uh, new church, the church at Grove Hill has come out of the church at Station Hill. On and on it goes. Right now we've got over 30. Uh, so we're well on to that. Uh, how do we find those situations where, where we can start new congregations, where we can help churches in transition, find the new opportunity, where we can train the leaders uh, who will be leading those new congregations? And, and, and continue to push that. Uh, we're looking now at what it means to be um, more engaged in the international uh, setting. And Fadi tells us that if his goal is to have a worshiping community in every language group in Middle Tennessee, that's 90 churches, just the languages. Kurds, Somali, on and on the list goes. And like I say all the time, those 90 languages don't include hillbilly. (laughs) Now, let me tell you why I bring that up. Do you know where the greatest number of unchurched people are in Tennessee? The rural communities of Tennessee. Do you know where meth 
and opiates are doing their worst damage, the rural communities of Tennessee. Do you think those two are related? You've heard us talk about poverty, health care, education. Education was pretty easy. Uh, we found ways to get connected to local schools, and every church is invalid, uh, every campus is involved in, the, in a church, in a school nearby, uh, near to the church. Uh, Avenue South uh, has, has pioneered this for us, do, doing an uh, outstanding job there. Woodbine. Uh, Woodbine went to the local uh, elementary school and said, what are your teacher's wish list? Do you know the average Tennessee uh, teacher spends about $1,500 a year out of their own money buying supplies for their kids? So we told the school, tell us what your teachers want. They gave us the wish list. Uh, Doug Jones took it to a, a, a local office depot, and the office depot team got excited and started throwing stuff in the bins we didn't even ask for. Invited the school over and had the bins with all of the teachers' names. And inside that bin was everything the teacher had asked for. Education. <laughs> Healthcare is a little more challenging, as you can imagine. But here's what we're finding out. The crisis in Middle Tennessee is mental health, depression, anxiety, and we're finding out through the leadership of Ken Kaur, our congregational care minister, ways that we can provide structure to help the mental health crisis through the counseling ministries of our uh, campuses. And Ken's leading that effort. Poverty. How in the world do you get your hand around this? Well, we're working with a, uh, uh, some friends of ours that we've been working with for a long time, Project Connect Nashville. Uh, they've been uh, partners with Brentwood Baptist Church for, for a long time. And we're, we have been talking to them about how we solve a critical issue, and that is housing. Now, you've heard about affordable housing. This is even more than that. What happens when you're trying to get your life together? Where do you live? Okay, you're homeless. You get a job. How do you get an apartment? One, can you save up enough money to pay the down, uh, you know, the, the down payment of the apartment? Two, you got no credit record. You know, you've been homeless, so it's hard to get the apartment. So what we want to do is work together with Project Connect. We want to buy an apartment complex. And we want to work with, a, uh, with, with people who are in transition and give them a home, give them an apartment. We'll work with them. We'll help the finances. We'll help them learn how to deal with their finances. We'll help them get job skills. We'll help the kids with tutoring. We'll do that to about 60 families a year, and we will begin to break the cycle of poverty. Amen. Now, that's going to cost about a million dollars over the next three years. Okay, now we're not going to start 100 churches next year as much as I would like to. They tell me I have to be patient. 
Project Connect Nashville is going to be over the next three years. Let me tell you something else we found out. We started working with Young Life in a a thing called um, the Copernicus. And it's for families with special needs children. Do you know if you have a special needs child, the family doesn't go to church at all? Here's, Here's what happens. They'll come to church. They'll bring their child. Someone in the nursery will say, do you mind staying with your child because we don't have anybody trained, we don't have anybody ready? Guess what? You might as well stay at home. And the family loses community. They lose connection. So if you walk down the second floor hall of this campus, you'll find three rooms, three rooms um, that are set up now for special needs ministry. And we've been looking, and we can't find a church that does this. And so we're looking to build on this campus a facility to to work with special needs children and their families. And it'll cost us about $5 million. It has to do that. Now, we want, we want to do that because these... Now, here's what, we're, here's what we're finding out, that you can't start it small. Because once fi- people find out, they'll be coming from all over. Okay? And this is one of those things that, you know, if you do, it doesn't pay back. Okay? This is something we will do. Why? Because it's a hard thing. And aren't you glad to be at the church that God asked to do hard things? Huh? Now, this is the point where we start showing you, you know, pictures of babies. You know, do all of that. And we start inviting you to all of these things where you eat rubber chicken. and, and, And I hate that. Okay? You hate it too, right? Okay, we're grown-ups. Let's deal with this. In the back of the information, you got, that, you got the big bulletin, talks about everything. In the back of that is, is a picture of this commitment card that we're going to be handing to you about every Sunday. And every one of you are going to make this decision. And what we're asking for all of you, all of you, is simply make your next step. We believe God will be faithful. We believe God will work in your own life. We believe God will do miracles in families. And in those miracles, do the miracles throughout the Middle Tennessee area. There's three areas. One, I want you to take the next step of discipleship. I want you to take the next step of whatever it is for you to get serious about following Jesus. That can be as simple as getting into a small group. Getting into a life group. It can be as simple as saying, I have been in a life group most of my life, Mike. It's time for me to teach one. It's time for me to host one. That's your next step. To develop your skills in leadership. And you know for some of you, it's time you thought about another career and in the ministry professionally. Some of you, God will be calling out of, out of jobs to take positions in some, some of these hundred churches and all of that. That's your next step. 
What is the next step for mission or ministry? Where are you engaged in a place that can make a difference for the kingdom of God? Where in education, where in healthcare, where in poverty. All of those are opportunities for evangelism. Where are you being called? Where have you been gifted to make a difference for the kingdom of God? It's time for you to take that next step. And yes, financially. It's time for us to take that next step. Now for some of us, we're scared to death of our money. We don't have a budget. We don't have a will. We don't know where the money comes in. We don't know where it goes out. We know we need to have one, but it scares us to death. If at the end of this month, you can come up to me and say, Mike, my family has a budget and we've never had a budget. Mike, I'm on a budget and I've never been on a budget. We will celebrate a great victory for you. I'm serious. Some of you need to get over that. We have counselors, we have friends who could help you put that process together. Now, I know one of the reasons you don't want to do it is because it's embarrassing, right? Because you always find out you're spending way too much money on stuff you had no intention of spending money on, right? We're spending how much on that? And then you have to justify it, right? Oh, come on, Jeannie, I need the sports package. Okay, but I can't do without that. Get control of your money. That's the first step for some of you. Put a budget together. That's the first step for some of you. And when you put that budget together and you look at where your money's coming in and where your money's going out and you make those obvious decisions that you're not going to be stupid with your money, you'll find you're able to tithe. Start tithing. Now, now, to to you new believers, I know you're going, hey, I've just started following Christ and now I'm hearing you talk about 10%. That scares me to death. Okay, I got you. I really do. I got you. One, I don't care about 10%. I really don't. That, that, that's, an, that's an easy figure. It comes from early in the, New, uh, in the Old Testament of Abraham when the battle of victory, uh, victory he was given in battle. So he tithes off everything that he got out of the battle. That's where it comes from. It's an easy number. Everybody can divide by 10. Okay? But it's a start. I want you to sit down with your family. I want you to sit down with your budget. I want you to, I want you to look at it as honestly and as bluntly as you can. And if you say to Jesus, this was, is what we can afford to give. This is all my faith will allow me to give. Then start. Let Jesus teach you how to give. And I've never had anybody in all my years of ministry come back and tell me that didn't work. Our Jesus is faithful, and he'll set you free from things that now strap your life, and he'll do it by teaching you how to tithe. Now, if you're tithing, then move to generosity. And yeah, some of us are in the place in our lives now where we need to be putting our will together. You do know you're going to die, right? Is that news to anybody? Okay, when you die, have your paperwork in order. Do that for the love of your family. Uh, My dad died in 2012. 
I knew exactly how he wanted to handle things. And more than once, I had to tell my mother, I'm doing exactly what daddy told me to do. I knew what mom wanted done. I can't tell you the peace that brings to your family when they understand what you wanted done. Yeah, and I know it's a hard conversation, but if you love your family, have it. Everybody's got a next step. Make yours. We've come a long way since 1969. Do you know and, and when uh, Brentwood built the gym at 404 Franklin Road, we were one of the cutting edge congregations in the nation. We were one of the first churches to ever build a gym before it built a sanctuary. Did you know that? We did that because there was nothing in Brentwood then for the children to do. So we'd worship on Sunday morning, move the chairs, and the kids would skate and play basketball. Have you heard the story of the legal pad about how we got that? Meeting in the basement of the children's home, it was time to raise the money. So Clarence Edmonds, the, chairman, the, the finance chairman at the time, went person to person with a legal pad in worship service. And you signed your name and you wrote on there how much of the church debt you would be responsible for. This was not a pledge. This was a cosign. If the church didn't pay it off, you were responsible for it. That's where we got the money for the gymnasium that became the first building of Brentwood Baptist Church at 409 Franklin Road. And now here we are at 77.7 Concord Road and all the other seven campuses moving into what God is calling us to do and doing it mostly without debt. That's amazing. You know that thing that Clarence did with a legal pad has been so effective I have threatened to bring it back. Just kind of while Daniel was leaving y'all and singing, I'll just kind of walk in front of y'all and hand you the legal pad and just. Our budget next year is going to be about $25 million. At the end of this month, you'll be getting more information about that budget. Well, you see what's ahead of us in 2018. You see the opportunities. You see the challenges. We have come a long way. We have a long way to go. And we're going to do it one step at a time. Let's pray together. Aren't you glad to be a part of a church that God calls to do the hard things? Now, the church at Lachlan Springs... We as a congregation of around 100 people are functionally a year old. You listen to Mike this morning and you hear about 100 healthy churches in Middle Tennessee. You hear about 500,000 gospel conversations. All the things we're doing to address poverty and healthcare and education in our community. And you look around and you think, what can I do? 
something. You can do something. Our humble little congregation is already intimately involved in Kip Kirkpatrick Elementary School, just a few blocks away, serving the kids and the families and the parents of the Casey Homes District. We already have ministries focusing on racial reconciliation, focusing on teenage pregnancy. Did you know that 26 cents out of every dollar that you give goes to global missions? We've got 80 missionaries around the globe that we support financially and through our prayers. The opportunity to get involved in Project Connect, the opportunity to get involved with the international community here in Middle Tennessee, so many ways that we can serve. What can we do? We can do something. And how blessed are we to be a part of a family of churches that God is calling to do the hard things. As Drew and his team come forward to lead us in a song of response, would you pray with me? Father, we are grateful for the opportunity to serve. We are grateful for what you are doing as you go ahead of us in Middle Tennessee, in Nashville, in East Nashville, in the blocks around the building that we're sitting in right now. Thank you for the opportunity to enter into your service so that they might seek God. It's in your son's precious name that we pray. Amen.